Hi, and welcome to Effin Hormones, the podcast about perimenopause and beyond. It's basically me and my three mates, Terry, Helen and Bina, trying to make sense of this mad time in our lives, muddling along with a bit of swearing and lots of laughter, uh, as well as meeting some incredible people along the way. More of that to come. Can you believe this is our last episode of 2023? And what a year it's been. Now, like all of you wonderful folks listening, we are all bloody knackered, (laughs) to be honest. (laughs) And very much looking forward to a festive break. But can we give a big shout out to all of you wonderful people who will be working throughout the festive break on the front lines because we salute you. Trying to do a sound for a salute, doesn't really matter. Yeah, an emoji. We need like an emoji. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, before we get into today's incredible interview, let us hear from the gang how on earth are you all doing? Sorry, I've just given uh, Bina the giggles doing my, my already salute. Start, we've my already silent, started. Silent so wait, listen, we're recording in person today. It's very exciting. We're not used to this. So if we get a bit hysterical, then, you know, you know why. That's why. But just yeah. dead quickly, right? I need to tell you guys, like, last episode but one, Dr. Stacey Sims, like yeah. the, the um, exercise physiologist, nutrition. We talked about nutrition and exercise, didn't we? She kind of blew our minds. And she recommended taking... Um, so, like, the stuff that you see in the bodybuilder section in like health food shops right but she was like just do half a teaspoon in your coffee in the morning and I have been plagued with like terrible gut health problems for the past seven years as we discussed many times on this podcast right started taking it it's completely changed my life I'm not kidding honestly I've had no (laughs) no migraines no exhaustion and I just feel like it was the missing link because, you know, I've had to completely change my diet oh. and everything. Wow. So, yeah. Come on, give it, wow. give it a name What's check What's that again? called again? It's called satyrazine hydrochloride. It's not dynamite. Something. What have you got written down there? Dynamite. Well, it's not that good for my brain I've fog. I've got creatine monohydrate. Creatine monohydrate. Okay, yeah. it's clearly not sorted out my brain fog. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, look at your script, Helen. But, <laughs> but honestly, half a t- creatine monohydrate... And um, half a teaspoon every day. Seriously, I could actually have a little weep at like how much of a difference it's made. Oh, Seriously, wow. honestly, yeah, I feel like, like let's a have a little round of applause. Hey, thank, you, Stacey yeah, thank you, Doctor Stacey Sims. Thank you. Yeah. Anyone else Brilliant. with a little update? Well, yeah, I after having not such a great time on the first batch of HRT yeah. um, last year, I'm back on it. I'm on a lower dose, so I've got the patches Ooh. and the pills. Who were? Get you? Yeah, patches. but it's a lower dose of oestrogen uh, so the problem I had last time was I just felt nauseous all the time Ugh. and it I, and I kept waiting you know you just waiting and waiting and they say give it six weeks mm. and all that it just never passed and then even after I stopped using it I just ripped it off one day and went, I can't I feel so sick all the time oh, no. it's like feeling travel sick but all yeah. the time um, and then sort of was a bit scared so my amazing GPs and they are amazing I contacted him again. I said, you know, because I'm getting to the end of my tether again. And they said, oh, we've now introduced half an hour menopause well women checks. Wow. So it's a half hour appointment. And then she went, oh, by the way, I noticed that you turned 40 during the pandemic. You never came in for your 40 plus well well woman check. She said, let's get you booked in for both. So I went to the doctor two days. Both appointments were half an hour, which just that fact in itself nearly made me cry. That's amazing. Yeah. And then just had the most wonderful, very highly educated menopause nurse. Oh, my God. Um, and we sat down and went through all the different kind of types of treatment. So I'm back on. 
feel much better. I've not had any side effects, no nausea, no anything. So it's starting out a very low dose of 25 Right, milligrams. round of applause for your GP. Yeah, yeah man, my GP's amazing. Because that is not um, a common story. No, no is it? Nice positive it. NHS story. Yeah, really, yeah. honestly, they're just fantastic. So, yeah, feeling loads oh, better. And so, so you've, did you instantly or how long, how quickly you know did what? you start to feel the When benefits? I put the patches on, I'd say within, and I don't know how quick it's meant to be, but within 72 hours, yeah. I started wow. to feel a difference. Wow. And she said there might be an acceleration because if you feel, particularly on my brain fog, so I'm very, I'm much more alert, I'm much more in tune with conversations and things like that. I'm able to remember things because I've been through a massive phase of I have to write every single thing down because I forget it almost straight away, Mm. which is not great for work or any situation really. Um, That's got better. So quite quickly I felt that. My body temperature's sort of normalised. I haven't been having hot flushes or anything, but I just feel like a normal temperature. I'm not too cold. I'm not too hot. Just normal. Just normal. Fantastic. Wow. So, um, yeah, hopefully if that continues to go well maybe upping the dose slightly because oh, I am obviously quite low on oestrogen yeah um so yeah we'll see but that then you, it does it does fluctuate as well fluctuate. so I found yeah. with because I I use the gel and you have a bit more control over gel I I have noticed there are times when I feel like I've, I'm having enough and there are some side effects you can get if you have too much oestrogen so mm. um like tenderness and things like that that's so, what she was yeah. saying so, yeah, so, so just you start to know your body months. you yeah. start to know that's what exactly you need I mean I've been on it over three years now so you really do know what you need she was like go buy a calendar stick it on your fridge make sure you know just really well i mean for all the all the episodes we've made all the amazing people we spoke to all the research we've done on our own selves actually sitting down and having a human being tell you mm. like in very basic instructions what you have to do was brilliant yeah. was really and to know great. to know what you need to do as to well know what I, need to do. I know I need, I so know, many of them don't yeah, is amazing. i know why it's i really need to good. do it as well yeah, yeah. Brilliant. more of that please yeah, yeah. Very good. So thank Definitely. you nhs well done <laughs> any updates terry or are you just happy oh, same old same old trundling along as you do <laughs> good yeah. i'm looking fabulous in your eyeshadow this evening that's like my science infection that's my big bags my big bags underneath looking lovely about you looking good um i don't really have a serious update only to say um, I don't know where everyone else keeps their HRT, but mine is in a drawer right next to my bed. And since we last spoke, I've had to baby-proof it. Oh, you're oh. joking! Yes, because the baby loves nothing more than opening and closing drawers. So we've had to, well, we've had to baby-proof the drinks cabinet as well. I was going to say, she's <laughs> booze, wasn't yeah, she? Yeah, I found a large bottle of Peroni in her hand Woo! at one point. <laughs> and then, oh I mean, I'll probably get reported to social services now, I looked round one morning and she was waving a jar of... Um, a tube of testosterone. You, know no, you were going to say something else. I thought you were going to say something else then. She opened the bedside like, cabinet. She found? And out she pulled. Dot, dot, dot. Oh, my God. God. It could have been worse, couldn't it? It could have been so much worse. That story could have been so much worse. But no, the baby's now really upset that I have locked. I've had a special oh. device to lock my bedside drawer. Yeah. So she is She's like, human. where's my testosterone? Uh, yeah. <laughs> is, there, is there a risk that you forget how to open it and you yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. I yeah. she'll remember. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, right. It must be time Woo! for this episode's guest. Watch out, we've got a big introduction here. Um, now, listen, for those of you that have a history like raving like us, whoop, whoop. You'll know yeah. DJ Paulette is a bit of a hallowed figure. <laughs> Get this. Described by Maxine Peake as an icon, trailblazer, activist, warrior, DJ Paulette really is a true pioneer in the music scene. She started her illustrious career in early 90s Manchester, 
against the backdrop of things like Section 28, the AIDS crisis, the poll tax riots. She was one of the Hacienda's first female DJs and she really catapulted to global superstar status, living and performing in countries the world over. Now, in her mid-50s and after a career spanning over 30 years, she's committed her story to paper in her much-anticipated book, Welcome to the Club, The Life and Lessons of a Black Woman DJ. And in it, DJ Paulette candidly reflects on the highs and lows of her life and her career, giving insight into what it is to be a northern black woman in a world marred by classism, racism and misogyny. And boy, she had a ride with her hormones along the way. (laughs) (laughs) Not those effing things. Yeah. (laughs) Navigating the trials and tribulations of peri and menopause for over 15 years while maintaining her status as queen of the dance floor. A line in her book states, We are the pioneers, the foot soldiers who struck out alone in uncharted territory, keeping a few steps ahead of the rest, striding over rough terrain, inadvertently or intentionally clearing the path for others to follow. She unapologetically continues to do just that, only exactly who she is today and paving the way for the next generation. Her own light shining brighter than ever. Oh. <laughs> Welcome, DJ Paul. Welcome. Welcome to Hormones. Like that was... Pin drop introduction. Oh, I, I, feel much for that. I know. Yeah, I feel a bit emotional. Very emotional. You have lived a life, but Paula. it's true. It's true, and it's always really weird thinking about it because, first of all, I'm still living, so it's well, not. Yeah. Only, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, oh, a this life is well really lived great. And still living. You know, yeah. when I started writing the book, people were like, "Are you stopping DJing or are you going to die? Is there something serious?" It's like, no, this is like <laughs> the end of one chapter and the beginning of another. It's not, but. You know, it's just time to write something Mm. about it. It's time to share it. And there's always that question about legacy. How are we going to take what we've learned and make it useful to anyone, first of all, that wants to do what I've done, but also make it useful to anyone that hasn't done what I do but can see the resonances and the similarities mm. in between just the way women work and navigate mm. this beautiful effed up world that yeah. we're living <laughs> yeah. in yeah. and I just wanted to write something that had an every person appeal even though I'm a DJ it's a job just like mm. anyone else's job and to get some kind of you know, to put some kind of rubber stamp on the DJing is a job, it's not a hobby, it's mm-hmm. not something that the government can pass over because it's a job that we all work really hard to do. Yeah. And in the other way, it's like, it's also a job like a teacher, a doctor, a nurse or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, we have hours, we do tasks, we, you know better ourselves and better ourselves we have experiences that are all very similar to lots of people so I it's just craft, wanted to write it? about yeah. it it's yeah. a craft but I did notice yeah. at one point in the book you said you, you just get asked or told so many times oh I bet you know bet you've never done a hard day's work yeah. in your life you I know, still get glamorous. Yeah, yeah still people do ask that question and they think oh it's a really glamorous job and it's not work. It's not real work. And I wanted to make a point of also telling people that there's a lot that goes in behind. When you see a DJ on a stage at 
whatever club you care to go to in whichever country you care to see them the hours of prep that go into that two-hour set Mm. the hours of traveling that go into that two-hour set that you see are just beyond like what anyone would think so Mm. I wanted to make a point of mentioning that as well right let's take you back in time a little bit shall we um to the early days in the doctor who tardis (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) if you want yeah Yeah. why not can we go in the tardis Um, to a nightclub that is probably less than half a mile away from here yeah Um, but it's now a block of flats it would have been yeah Yeah. Yeah. um i'm of course referring to the hacienda you were one of only two female resident djs me and kath mcdermott what was it like djing at flesh in in flesh's heyday in the early 90s uh hot (laughs) very very hot because there was no air conditioning and you know I wore next to nothing and there was a reason why I wore next to nothing because it was really (laughs) hot down there there was a Club 69 record out called Let Me Be Your Underwear so one of the (laughs) one of the cries that people had was a lyric from that record going take your jeans off and it was you know it would be the point where we'd all start stripping off because it was getting so hot and there was sweat Dripping, dripping from, from the, the ceiling. ceiling. Yeah. Yes. See, I remember. I see. I remember clubs like this yeah. in the 90s. Yeah, this is how well, it was, was great, down the stairs. And and like a lot of people will go, what second room? Because sometimes you know people would just stay upstairs all night. Mm. But I Y K Y K. If you know, yeah, yeah, no. you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And the people that knew Especially came in a club, downstairs. Right? Yeah. Yeah. There was a mezzanine, and then he came all the way downstairs, and the gay traitor was turned into the pussy pussy parlor, which was where I held court, and um, for four and a half years, wearing next to nothing because that it was really hot, strange. and the floors were really slidey, and my oh. records spent, <laughs> my vinyl spent a lot of time on the floor oh, no. because people would be dancing on the chairs behind me and on the bar behind me, and they'd knock my record oh, box God. off, and all my records would go skidding oh, over God. the floor in wet. I oh, know, oh, like wet, and it then, was, and then it break was like well. a western. Yeah. It was like a western, <laughs> and it was the days oh, where so people funny. smoked inside, and as well. people smoked oh, inside. Oh, no, it was everything. It's, it was just, but it was amazing and then there were crowds of people so there's like the Liverpool set that would come down the Sheffield set with well I have to say that was me yeah you go so I used to I was at university in Liverpool at the time and then we heard about this amazing nightclub and the LGBT sorry it wasn't even called the LGBT society it would have been the Lesbian and Gay Society Mm -hmm. We'd rent a minibus, which then turned into a huge coach. And we'd get the coach over from Liverpool and we'd all come to Flash. And we absolutely loved it. And still managed to get to our lectures the next morning at nine. I don't know how. None of us is what you're I was studying for my degree at the time. And I, like, it was last Wednesday of every month. And I was studying for my degree and I never missed a day. Wow. Wow. What were you studying? English. Gosh. Which is quite a contrast. That's why I did, I did a degree in English. I've yeah. always been a writer. I've yeah. written since I was yeah. very small. So I was studying for my degree when I became a DJ yeah. at Manchester Met. Yeah. You see me pointing like, uh, <laughs> like people know where we are because they can hear. Yeah. Like I'm pointing that way. It's so, that way. The hacienda. It's that way. The hacienda. It's that way. And the I do remember very late, late night in the hacienda and thinking, oh my god, I'm never going to get to film studies in the morning. And then I bumped into the, my lecturer who was giving the lecture at 9am the next oh, morning in have? Liverpool. 
a guy called Sean in flesh Palmer, in flesh yeah yeah and he was yeah. giving the lecture next morning I was like oh my god if you're giving that lecture tomorrow morning I'm going to be at your lecture <laughs> amazing but I'm like, so impressed it's been so because you mentioned the TARDIS right at the start yeah. as well like Russell T Davis has talked yes. about how influential yeah, flesh was, was. Mm. Um, yeah I mean I was just going to say right, you know, for all our that entire scene international yeah. listeners like because I mean we, we're all sort of steeped in this knowledge because yes. like yes, the Hacienda was just such a massive thing like do you want to just sort of describe the, you know, the importance and the impact of the Hacienda? Yeah, I mean, the, the interesting thing, first of all, for the party flesh to be in existence, the Hacienda in all of its existence, the first nine years of existence, there wasn't gay anything. Mm-hmm. It was very straight, mm-hmm. white, not really mixed mm. at all. You know, a little bit mixed. First resident was obviously Hugh and Clark, so it was a little bit black, a little bit soul, but ev- eventually that kind of went and it was mainly white and then rave second summer of love 89 and then it was closed in 1990 it was closed down and what came when it reopened was there was the decision and the awareness to put on a gay night first of Mm. all to get the gangs away Mm. because they knew the gangs wouldn't come if that was there and also to bring a bit more of the colour back into mm. and and the sexiness back into clubbing and music and the kind of decadence and the show, the mm-hmm. presentation back into it. And then the flesh started with this big fanfare of it's queer up north. Yeah. Like yeah. suddenly yeah, yeah. it put queer on the map, on the not just the British map, but on the internationally international yeah. Yeah, yeah, map. Yeah, yeah. And we were coming with that attitude off the back of Section 28, mm-hmm. which was saying that, you know, you couldn't educate, you couldn't talk about anything same sex in schools. You couldn't, it was mm-hmm. like a book burning. You couldn't have any books that mentioned anything mm-hmm. homosexual or gay or anything and like was that. was the age of consent as well? Still and the age of 18, consent was... was it? 21. 21. Yeah, still. 21. But then, (laughs) and that was also where flesh was flying in the face of what we could and could not do because the the age of, you know, the age of admission and alcohol was 18. Mm. Yeah. So by running the night, because we're encouraging people to come and meet like-minded people and celebrate and maybe cop off Yeah, Mm -hmm. at 18. So we are breaking the law. Yeah. See, I can, my brother specifically moved to Manchester just so that he could go to the Hacienda. We were living in Germany. Yeah. I remember wow. this International Time magazine, right, when he was in sixth form, and there was a picture of a raver, a raver on the front cover. It was the Hacienda. So my brother went to Salford Tech, then we came to Salford yeah. Um, yeah, Uni. uni. I, we came to see him one time, and I can remember he was... Uh, he, he was talking about flesh and he was buying all these amazing clothes because he, he's, he's not gay. Because wow. they, they were just desperate to come because it was so incredible. And that's what else flesh did. I cannot stress enough about how it encouraged the mixing mm. of the tribes and not just yeah. the mixing of the tribes, white, black, but lesbians and gays yes. in a club at the same time, mm-hmm. excuse me, in Manchester in 1991, 92. Yeah. Rare. Yeah. Rare. You know, they, we all had our own places and corners to go to. Having the two together 
had never really, but well, it had never been done before. Speak to Paul Collins, he'll tell you. When you talk about flesh, and people will listen to it with a 2023 mm. mindset where it's cool to be gay. You can walk down the yeah. street with yeah. kissing yep. your girlfriend mm. or your, you know, your partner, whatever. Mm. You Not can, quite that yet. <laughs> yeah, but you can if you want to. Yeah. If you did yeah, it in yeah, yeah. 1992, yeah, you, get you get your head yeah. kicked in. Yeah, totally. And you get arrested. And you get arrested because get arrested. the police here yeah. were anti-gay. Yeah. No, James yeah. Anderton yeah. Yeah. is an... Out and out GMP, in yeah. the press GMP, front yeah. page, mm. homophobe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I remember he a lot. Yeah, he used to pinpoint the gay clubs anyway. And yeah, He'd and go raid in and raid yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. That, Which I is think... why we do it on a Wednesday night yeah. and not the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. didn't have a load of gays walking through Manchester City City yeah. Centre on a Saturday night. It was a Wednesday. Yeah. There was a reason why it was on a Wednesday. I think the legacy of it can be charted right to today because I say to people all the time who are thinking about moving to Manchester, I was like, do it. I moved to Manchester to be who... I followed the music, Mm. but the legacy... Like, I say to young people who are, you know, thinking about moving here, I'm like, you can... I feel like Manchester still is... You can turn up and be whoever the fuck you you want to be. Mm in a safer space than you could in Absolutely. many other places in the country. I came back. Yeah. <laughs> but Why that's it. And I think that back? is, you know, Nights Like Flesh was part of the... Absolute trailblazer. So we could talk about the Hacienda all night, but we will move it on a little We bit. could, but there's plenty <laughs> more to discuss. Yeah, because yeah, then, of course, your career took off and you moved to London and then Paris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like? Yeah, London was incredible. I mean, I moved to London because I was given a residency at the Zap Club in Brighton every Saturday. It was a weekly residency. So Carl Cox had the Friday, I had the oh, Saturday. <laughs> so it made sense to go because it was just like this prestigious club mm-hmm. and I'm headlining. I've gone from never having DJed before to DJing at the Hacienda to being given this residency and I'm earning weekly money. So I thought, oh, I'll move to London then without thinking, oh, I'm going to leave all my friends behind and what am I going to do? But I was DJing, I was earning money, so... That's why I moved. And then I stayed in London for 10 years working various jobs. And then in 2004, I sold my flat because I bought a flat. <laughs> I wish I hadn't now. Because <laughs> yeah, that would have been it, a yeah. nice yeah, nest yeah. day quite yeah. now. <laughs> it, but in 2004, it seemed like a good idea to sell it. And so I sold my flat and I moved to Paris and I lived there for 10 years and just saw a complete other side of the music industry because I you know sometimes being the only one in the room is a good thing and I flew like the most celebrated female DJ in that country for 10 years was me and I won two awards and was nominated for further two all voted for the public I was being you know, top billing with David Guetta, Joachim Garode, Martin Solvig, Bob Sinclair. I know them all very well. I was very often the only woman on the lineup alongside mm. those people. And it was just a magnificent time. I just did super, super well. And then I lost it. Hello, menopause. Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> Hello, menopause. Hello, losing track of 
who you are, why you're there, what you want to do. You know, it's like that moment in Zoolander when he looks in the pool and goes, who am I? (laughs) (laughs) And how old were you at that point, Paula? Um, I was in perimenopause when I was 39 and Mm -hmm. we kind of tootled about with hormones and this and that for two years. But by the time I hit 41, it was clear, like, my periods had stopped and medicine works a bit differently in France than it Mm. does in England. So they work more on prevention rather than cure. You see people about, you know, you're more likely to see uh, a gynae, as they call it, for having babies, not for menopause. Like, you know, they, they, they... they want to deal with the creation of it, not with when it stops. So when my egg production stopped, you know, my gynae said, I really don't need to see you anymore. There's nothing I can oh, do. Gosh. Oh, right. And were you aware of what was going on? Because No, no, because I, yeah. I didn't really know what was going to happen next. But I knew that my periods had stopped, my egg production had stopped, and I could now no longer see the gynaecologist I was with. I had wow. to see a different one. And also, I'm doing this in French. Yeah. Mm. And what, um, kind of, what kind of symptoms were you having then? There was a day <laughs> when it's just a funny, really funny memory. I mean, it's not funny, it's terrifying. But it was Christmas. It will have been just before my 41st birthday. And I'm standing in the post office near where I lived with a pile of Christmas presents that I'm sending to the UK. And it's snowing outside, so I've got a big yellow puffer jacket on, scarf, hat, gloves, whole thing. And I'm standing in the queue and I just started getting really uncomfortable. I was like, oh, God, am I coming down with something? Because I just suddenly started to get really hot. So I'm kind of suffering it for a bit, but it wasn't slowing down the heat was just getting more and more intense and the more I panicked the hotter I was getting so it's just like oh my god I'm gonna and you really feel like there's an exocet Mm -hmm. inside your spine it's like where is that heat coming from so the hat comes off scarf comes off glove comes off my coat's open like that and I'm still getting hot so the coat comes off (laughs) I'm like juggling. I was going to say, where's all the presents? (laughs) And the queue is just really long. And anyone who knows anything about France will know that the queue at the La Poste is like that is the torture you do never (laughs) ever want to undergo any day of the week. La Poste Mm. is the worst. And I'm standing there and I like my coat's off. And then it's still getting hotter and hotter and hotter. So it's like, oh, God, I'm going to have to take my T-shirt off. And I'm in the queue. I'm like, this is ridiculous, but it's coming off. I'm too hot. So I took my, like, I had a long sleeve T-shirt on. So I'm... Where you realise you've got nothing on. No way! Oh, my God. And then I'm just starting sweating. And people are looking at me, you know, like, twitching in the queue, like, what's wrong with this lunatic woman? And It's like there's nothing I could do because I'm just getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And then the next thing, the sweat came. I'm like, what is happening to me? I looked like I'd stepped out of the shower. Mm-hmm. I was soaking wow. wet, absolutely soaking wet. And I'm like, 
right, I, I am either coming down with some lurgy that has not been defined by anyone or this could be the menopause. And I had a kind of inkling that this might be what I was going to go through for the next however long. But I thought, well, you know, it'll subside. And it did subside. And I put all my clothes back on and people started tutting in the queue and uh, posting my packages and nobody said anything. They weren't funning you with the letter. And, you know, and then I kind of stood to one side and put all my clothes back on and and thought, you know, what do you do? You just got to style it out. So I just walked out. And I thought, you know what, either... If I'm ill, this will keep going. And it didn't happen the next day. So I thought, oh, I must be better. And then the weekend came and I'm DJing and I drank a glass of champagne and boom, in came this hot flash again, which was like, wow, is this going to keep happening? And on the Sunday I went home and I just called my sister. I'm like, Audrey... (laughs) I know you've been talking about like hot flashes or anything, but what's the menopause? Like what? And she she said, well, you know, I've been in this for quite a few years, so be prepared. It could be one year or it could be forever. It's different for everyone. So I sit here saying I've not had any HRT, but I have been in and out because it's in phases. So I've been in and out of this for the last... 15 years. Gosh, that's a long time. Oh, my God. And is it something that your mum ever talked to you about? No, never, never. But my mum never even did the period chat. I'm still waiting for that. (laughs) Still waiting for the period chat. Still waiting for the birds and bees chat. She never did any of that. It was just like Mm. you figured it out yourself. And I don't, you know, I come from a family of women. I've got six sisters. Wow. And none of us have ever actually sat there and gone... Hey, you know, we've just not actually had a family powwow about life, this thing called menopause. We've never actually openly discussed it with each other. I think we've all had little, you know, off stage left. Yeah. Privy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, that would be good to get you in, in the room together. That'd be you know, but, you know, thinking about it, maybe we should have, you know, maybe it would have made everything so much easier, but we've all kind of gone through our menopausal journeys singularly and on our own. So, Paulette, just give us a sense of, because, you know, I can remember back in the day, I'm a 90s clubber, and female DJs were rare, right? Mm. And from my perception of it, that it was quite a misogynistic world. Yeah, very. Yeah? Yeah. And you've blazed this trail in this area, achieved a success, still very often the only woman. Mm. So... What was that like? I mean, how did that, you know, being menopausal in a world that's already misogynistic and you're blazing this trail as a yeah, woman that's on the your point. own? That's the point where I started to get edged out. Right. Body changes, hair changes, you know, all of a sudden you're considered older. Okay. You know, it, this doesn't happen for guys, by the way. No, not clearly not. No, that's one of the reasons really why we do this podcast. It doesn't <laughs> happen for men. And I was having this discussion earlier with someone where... You know, they will still put Carl Cox on the cover of a magazine. Mm. He's over 60. They'll put Pete Tong on the cover of a magazine. He's over 60. Yeah, and Giles it's OK Peterson. for them to lose their hair. And mm-hmm. he's over 60 and it's OK for them to lose their hair, dye their hair, do what they want with it. It's OK for mm. them to be 
grey, you know, but as soon as a woman hits, either has a child or hits 40 Mm. and, you know, oh, she's let herself go, you know, because you put on a little bit of weight because you do put on a bit of condition whether you like it or not Mm. between, you know, the end of your 30s and the beginning of your 40s, you put on three pounds and it happens again the end of your 40s going into your 50s you put on weight Mm -hmm. there's nothing you can do to stop that that's like a biological fact of life you know for women that your body changes and people see that and respond to that Mm. did anyone ever say anything explicitly or was it always sort of implicit yeah yeah but not about menopause but just about me being old and I was 41. Wow. wow. So what kind of things so did you these, hear? These kind of What's things not, kind of contributed, no, you know. kind of contributed to me realising that I was not going to last very long in France. If people felt I was old when I was 41, 42, mm. my job, my, like, the time left for me there to do what I wanted to do was really limited. It's like, actually, you know, I'm being kind of pushed out here. (gasps) And rather than fight it, which I should have done, I left and went to Spain. I went to Ibiza in 2013. But in that period, what obviously you come into terms with your body changing. Yeah, and and I lost the plot as well, a bit. Yeah. I Like, I have to admit, like, menopause for me the the beginning of it was just the craziness i just like emotions up and down it's almost like you feel like you've lost your mind it's Mm, like (laughs) you know that there there is a rage that comes from nowhere which you know you can can all attest to that in the the car or in the taxi or putting the bin out or somebody said something or you know like I, I remember Hello. one day, neighbour <laughs> knocked, knocked, knocked on my door one day and it was snowing. Um, another day when it was snowing. I was going to say, menopause and snow. Yeah. Like, no, and I always thing. have my, my house is really hot, so I'm, I'm dressed in shorts. And he asked me something to go down to the cave and I stepped outside my door clacked shut. So I got locked out. Oh, no. And I didn't have any keys. And I... <laughs> lost it I went exocet like I don't you even can swear know. by the way oh, yeah. I don't I even know I here. don't even know where this Regan person came from oh, but me and that neighbour never spoke again oh, oh, <laughs> oh, man. but it's his fault if I hadn't have answered the door <laughs> I would have got locked out oh, in the snow in my pyjama shorts oh, like, and having to spend over a thousand pound getting the locks changed oh, so yeah I had a good reason, but maybe not with the blast. (laughs) I put him on blast so hard that we never, I mean, we never spoke for the rest of the time that I was there. I was just like this crazy lady Mm. downstairs that was losing the plot and calling the police every 10 minutes because the kids were making too much noise and things like that I, was, I mean I just lost it I really oh, really no. lost it and, and, and parallel to that you're being faced with people who were kind of going you're too old yeah yeah so and all then, of it coming at you at and once. then I'm in a club and I'm like drinking because I was drinking at the time as well and it just brought on the hot flashes so I'm mm. under lights and oh. I'm just this sweaty 
mess as soon as I get into a club and I'm doing that in front of thousands of people who are half my age mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. and I started to really feel the difference the the gap between yeah. me and them and I you know it was just a very weird time it evened off eventually but the beginning of it was horrible there are no provisions nobody cares I mean who am I going to tell oh I'm in the middle of my menopause and what would they think mm-hmm. at the time when I started into my menopause, so 2007. Nobody was talking no, about it openly then. No one was talking about it. I mean, we're lucky they're doing it now. We're lucky they're even doing it now, and this is 16 years yeah. later. Yeah. So for me to want to try and address it, I couldn't even address it with my booking agent. My booking agent thought I was losing my mind, and she gave me the number for a psychiatrist. Really? A psy, yes. Voilà mon numéro de mon psy. Mm. Oh wow! Here's my oh. psychiatrist number, and I did. I saw many different psychiatrists. I mean, did the psychiatrists have any kind of insight into what you were going through? Oh, I saw lots of different ones. No, they didn't. <laughs> no, they didn't. But also, I'm doing psychiatry in in French. French. Yeah. It wasn't even really touching mm. what was wrong with me because I didn't have the vocabulary yeah. to. God, it's bad explain. enough as it is. What was happening what for yeah, me yeah. and what were, right. what my feelings were. You know, I could say, oh, this is happening, but I couldn't yeah. articulate the emotions underneath it. And I couldn't say why. So it was all very frustrating and all very lost. Yeah. So, so was it yeah. that that brought you back to the UK, Paula? Yeah, kind of, yeah, it was. because I mean, I lost sight of myself very much and I knew the only way I could get back to being even remotely anywhere like myself was to come back Mm. and kind of break it all down and start building it up around people who, first of all, could understand me. You know, because I also did psychiatry in Spain as well, and that was a right old number. If I think I can speak French, I really can't speak Spanish. So it's just like, you know, wow. Was was that in Ibiza? Do you know, that must have felt incredibly lonely. It was. It was. It's a, the loneliest time of my life because yeah. nobody. I just felt like nobody understood what I was going through, and I knew. I knew, even my booking agent thought I was mad. Did you understand yourself that this might have been menopause, or did you think you were going mad? I thought I was going mad, right. and then when I came back to the UK, I was like, "Oh my god!" And and it was a bit of a light bulb moment, like. I've been going through all that, but nobody, but absolutely nobody said, it's this. Yeah. Mm. And it, it kind of took me piecing the symptoms mm. yeah. and the moments and the kind of crazy writing in my diary. Like, like, I have lost it, but I haven't lost it because there was sense in everything that I was writing. Mm. So I could kind of piece the puzzle together that way. But wow, what a ride that was. That was just crazy, crazy. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm doing my job, I'm playing music and feeling like I am so different to all of these people because there was something happening. I knew there was something happening and there was something changing me, but I couldn't really... There wasn't an anchor for me to really, like, hold on to. 
You probably had no colleagues to talk about. Not oh, many menopausal other DJs out there. I didn't working. know that there was any other. There was any really one woman around me, or everybody else around me was male. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have anyone to discuss it with. And then when I came home, you know, I came home very kind of sporadically, and I came home less when I was going through it. So my family just thought, oh, she's old Miss Lardy da doing so well, blah blah, you know. She's forgotten us. I mean, it wasn't that. It's just like I was like you was losing there. my mind. I was just like, what? It's, it sounds terrifying as well. As well as being lonely, it sounds like a very scary yeah, experience. Yeah, and it was a split experience as well because I just kind of split myself. So when I was home, I was going through this craziness. And then when I was, work, when I was at work, no one could see the joins. Mm-hmm. So nobody really could see that. I was struggling. Masking. Put a mask on. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's called dissociation. When did things start to get better? When I came back to Manchester. (laughs) And and I could go to the doctors and say, oh, I feel like this. And they could understand what I feel like this meant. I could sit with my sisters and say, oh, um this is happening, who should I see? And there were suggestions and whoever I saw was helpful. Mm. And if they weren't helpful, they could pass me on to somebody who was helpful or they could tell me what to take. So my sister Elise was like, oh, I take black cohosh because she really believes in homeopathic and okay. vitamins and all of this. That's for hot sweats, uh, for cold sweats. For the sweats yeah. and everything. And And there were suggestions that were coming that were kind of starting to regulate things and Mm. it started to calm down and I think it also calmed down a bit because the stress Mm. was less yeah Mm. and you're surrounded by people who know you people they know Mm. yeah but you decided not to go down the HRT route um I've got glaucoma so they don't recommend HRT really for people with glaucoma but do you feel like everything else you're doing has improved it it's yeah I do I mean I do a lot of sport not crazy because I'm a bit of a lazy one. I've got a gym <laughs> membership I never use, but I go for walks <laughs> every day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, like it kind of comforts me to hear. It kind that. of worked <laughs> out last year that I think I probably went swimming maybe six or seven times. So when I work out how much, much gym money that <laughs> how much that swim cost, <laughs> I better have done 50, at least fifty lengths. Otherwise, it's not <laughs> worth yeah, it. That's but like fifty I do. quid. Like, six or seven times more than so, I have. <laughs> listen, from my, my perspective. So now is like you know because I mean I haven't gone clubbing for years because I'm, I'm I'm working I've got a kid and mm. you, do you know what I mean there will come a time when I will go back to clubbing but yeah. just at the moment it's you know you've been to a baby rave haven't you oh I used to take my little one to raves yeah the baby yeah, raves yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah same yeah, thing yeah yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> bit different not really um, <laughs> same same but different Let's do it. so. <laughs> <laughs> my perspective of like the dance music world now is that things have changed and have got a lot better and opened up a lot with respect to. You still to... can't talk about menopause though for DJs, female DJs. Yeah, changing. you're not. Yeah, okay. Listen, you that's probably a step too far, isn't it? Mm. But but I remember. So for example, I've got young people on my team. They love dance music. We talk about dance music. I'm like, who are your favorite DJs, right? Yeah. And, and without skipping a bit, he said Annie Mack, right? Yeah. And Annie Mack's 45. Yeah. Right. Blessed Madonna's like in her 40s, yeah. isn't she? Yeah. You know, and I do feel that. Um, female DJs in their 40s are being lauded and respected. and More so now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so do you think it, it is getting better? Yeah, I think it is changing. Mm. Um, but I think it's interesting that 
Annie Mack and Bless Madonna can be open about their ages, but Honey Dijon won't discuss it. Okay. Mm. It's a bit different for black people. Okay. <laughs> Why do you think Slightly that? Slightly different for black people. And I don't hide my age, mm. but I know how hard it is to get on lineups. Right. Right. So there's still a lot of ageism. Yes. Racism. Racism. Misogyny. Less, less the racism, but ageism, I think, is in right. play. Yeah, yeah, Certainly. yeah. Certainly. Yeah. You know, it's easier for... Yeah, it just is easier. I mean, l- listen, I'm not expecting sort of, you know, female DJs in the 40s and 50s to go around, you know, talking about... No. Talking about their career around talking about menopause as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but, but we I kind suppose... of should to normalise it and yeah, make I'm it... Yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that. And make it okay. Make it because fine. we should yeah. be able to enjoy our later years career and if we don't discuss it for everybody it doesn't matter whether you're a doctor surgeon artist you know whether you work in management for Morrisons or Asda you should be able to talk about these changes feel okay about talking about it and it be okay to have this discussion openly in your office with your management team you should be able to talk about what that represents for you and you know maybe you might need a mental health day maybe some someone mm. else might need a mental health day where they just need it yeah. or, or they just need a time out or you need to put a safe space in these on are your fabulous floor. ideas yeah. i'm loving that you know you need to put a safe space on your floor so that if someone is having like this oh my god i'm losing my mind i need to just take 10 minutes mm. that they've got somewhere mm. to go and either punch a wall punch you know <laughs> like put a punching bag and, in the room and, and yeah. just get great, something yeah. out but we should be able to talk about it because guess what it is a blessing getting old some people don't get mm. here mm-hmm. yeah. so true. yeah And, you know, we've just come through two of the worst years of losing people through the pandemic that we've ever, that the world globally has ever experienced. So if we can't talk about the ageing process, we are in trouble. Do you think your life would have panned out differently if if we'd had the menopause revolution sort of 20 years before and you'd known... Yeah. What you were <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it would have been very different because I think people would have understood more, or they'd have, you know, somebody would have taken me to one side and said, hey, you know, do you want to discuss it? Or, you know, there's somewhere you can go, or here's a number, you know, or you're not all going those mad. things, or, you, or just yeah. simply, you're, going mad. you're not, you going, not going, mad. going mad, you're just yeah. having your menopause, you're yeah. just, go, you know, going into that phase. If I'd have understood it a bit better, it would have made a difference to mm. how, you know, how I left certain places how I left Paris certainly it would have made a difference if I'd have understood that that was a contributing mm. factor mm. do you remember we had we had we had a guest on Sue Devaney who's in Corrie and she yeah. talked about she got to the point where she so she lost it and then she built it back up which again. is exactly what I've done but mm. I think I think half the battle is knowing that not that you go mad it's probably not the best term but like if you're going through mental health crisis as part of your menopause knowing that that's part, part of it or of it, it can be exactly. for some women because it is for some women mm. exactly. knowing that there is help and there are people who now can help and there are doctors who can help yeah. but not knowing what it is in the first place so terrifying and it? also it knowing so... that you're going to come back from it yes that exactly. it's not exactly. an end because you know, even if you like, do go mad you, can, you do come back it would have been different it. I think if if I'd have known that and been able to relax into it and think, okay, right, this is happening, which is like what I'm like now with it. Mm. When these moments come, it's like, you know, I'm not having to second guess and think, Mm. 
Am I going mad? Is yeah, this it's the fear is of losing the like, plot or fear uh, of losing it that escalates and makes yeah. it worse, mm. isn't it, when you don't know what's happening? Yeah. And then I've also actually physically lost it, so I know the difference. <laughs> now. I know the difference. It helps having something to yeah. you know, judge it against. Yeah. You know. How, how is it all sitting with you now? You know, you've got this book coming out. You're on Six Music. You know, you're doing these amazing things. You were at, was it um, Homo Electric? Was it with yeah, Bessie Madonna the other see, week? Now, here's the thing, which I recount an event that happened around 2012, I think I was at the Amsterdam dance event, 2012, it was 2011 or 2012. I was sitting around a dinner table with a really big Ibiza promoter, a really big sort of party promoter, global, and a booking agent. They were all male, and there was me sitting around this dinner table. And one of them turned to me and said, you know, Paulette, there is no booker that is going to book a black female DJ with grey hair. Oh <gasps> what? Fuck's sake. Oh, without God. blinking. Jesus. And Is he still alive? Without Yeah, still alive, still booking people, still doing whatever, still really important, still really powerful. <sighs> and before I'd had chance to even reply, the other two burst out laughing and thought it was funny. Oh, my God. And it was like, this was the point where I'd handed in my notice to the radio station, my booking agent, the club I was resident at. I was moving to Ibiza. The decision was already made. I'd, like, my flat was handed in and everything. And I was like, what? You're now telling me that I can't work because I'm too old and it's 2012. Now, if I had, I mean, I believed it for a couple of years because, you know, for the years I was in Ibiza, it was actually really true. I couldn't get arrested. It was just horrible. Um, You know, I could have probably got arrested, but I'd have had to do something really illegal, but I couldn't get arrested (laughs) with work because, like, just nobody could see me and the age thing was really present now if I'd have listened to them nothing that's happened for the last 12 years would have happened if I'd have believed them if I'd have felt like in my heart of hearts yeah I'm too old I'm having my menopause this is over time for a job change time to do something completely different which lots of women do like mm. they will get to that point and someone will say you're too old for this and then you'll just go oh do you know what i'm gonna have a family or or, or i'm gonna concentrate mm. on my family because you know mm. i've had my kids and now i'm getting my menopause and this is i've got to you know pivot and do something else a lot of women drop out of the workforce because that moment comes when somebody says to them you're too old for this mm. or they start getting passed over mm. You know, the younger one gets the job when Mm. you know you've got more experience. And it's like, why is this happening? Mm. And it's an age thing. Not necessarily menopause thing, but it might Mm. be, again, I keep saying contributing factors. Just with women, though, isn't it? Well, we've spoken to so many women on this podcast who've been at the top of their game when it's hit, much like your story. And that's when it's come crashing down, Mm. you know, and, and it's that fortitude to kind of go... Actually, Actually, no. No. (laughs) Fuck that. And that that is exactly what I said. It was a big fuck that because I know 
what I'm good at, I know what I can do, I know I'm good at what I can do, and I know whatever's in my brain. I don't even know what I'm capable of, but I know I'm capable of lots of things and way more than people are giving me the credit Mm -hmm. for. So I just came back like a lion and thought, you know what, fuck you, fuck you, and fuck you. Yes! And that's what I've done. And I came back and I started talking to the press about it. And that's when I started working with Camilla Raimaido and we, we, we started putting articles out about ageism and music industry and whatever challenges I'd experienced. I mean, it was a brave thing to do and also very stupid. Uh, but I thought how can you get less than no work well you can you can get less less than no work forever (laughs) but I just thought I was willing to take a chance and start making a noise about it and this is why I say we have to have those discussions Mm -hmm. we have to put it out there if we don't then the discussion never happens and this cycle Mm -hmm. continues where women only get so far and then they get to their 40s and they drop Mm -hmm. out or it takes a really strong woman to really rise above it and make that leap from middle management to Mm -hmm. upper boardroom level or whatever. Well, listen, I just want to say a massive thank you for doing that and, you know, because you've been a trailblazer in your DJing career and you've been a trailblazer with this now, so... Yay! Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. And as you started the interview by saying you're not dead yet. No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm happily not dead no. yet because you achieved you know, so much. You've got yeah. your book coming out in and January. So but what's but do. what is next, yeah. DJ Paula? Yeah. What is next? What is next? So the next year is obviously talking about this book. That me hands of off. That is my which is called Welcome to the Club. <laughs> which is called Venus Welcome to it. the Club: Life and Lessons <laughs> of a Black Woman DJ. So it's the book tour. It's the interviews it's the press I've got to promote this book now but then I'm starting thinking about book two I'm kind of kicking a few ideas about and then you know I really been focused on trying to get the radio done because I've always wanted my own show and then DJing just continues because I'm really good at it <laughs> Thank you for testing that. Seriously, I have yeah. been dancing to your music since yeah. I was uh, God, probably a teenager or early twenties, and I'm still dancing to it now. But that was yeah, the nicest amazing. thing when I at Pride this year and seeing you front row oh. with the biggest grin on your face, oh. going, "You're smashing it!" <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Emma. So watch out. I mean, this is the thing, like, Helen refers to us as ex-ravers, but that's wrong, isn't it? No, it's ravers. Ravers. Brilliant. Right, come on, let's all go out raving. Yeah. Let's go out raving. Yeah. Raving. Oh, Paulette, thank you so much. You have been the perfect effing hormones guest. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. Do you know what? I still, though, you know, the thing, one of the things that's changed for me the most is, like, at, at the beginning when I started DJing, I was like, you know, what I wore was, like, was I'd wear an amazing outfit. And yeah. now, you know, because you have to become, you have to start to inhabit your new body. Mm-hmm. And I have to admit, I'm still not really comfortable with some of the changes that are happening. And the changes are ongoing. You know, my weight is like a yo-yo. It's like up and down the 
pandemic didn't help because I just stuffed my face with food for two years. So it's just <laughs> like, all, yeah. now what are you going to do when you're at home? Oh, look, there's the fridge. Oh, look, there's the fridge. Oh, look, there's the fridge. It's the telly or the fridge. It's like, I don't know. Where am I going to stop? Oh, yeah, the telly, the fridge and the bed. So it's yeah. like the big yeah. Bermuda Triangle of I'm at home alone. So being comfortable with how I project who I am behind the decks. Now, that there, there has definitely been a change in how I dress and, you know, the things I will wear, you know. Do you put so, clothes on now then, rather than... Yeah, yeah, yeah I, am, I am very much a clothed person now. But this is what I am telling, like, my nieces now who are in their 20s and 30s. And, and I will say, just be comfortable with who you are and how it comes. And that's the best advice because once you, you are okay with that, everything else follows. Mm. Great advice. Mm. Wow. Oh, oh, I got goosebumps. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much yeah, for telling us about you. all that. It's brilliant to hear the stories. And like I say, thank you for kicking back and going, fuck that, because we are all with you. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's the reason why we do this podcast. It was a big fuck why. that moment as well, you know? That mm. is why. And that's why it's really important because other women need to hear that message. It's like, don't accept that that's the end yeah don't mm. accept that it's over because it's really not well there's a line in your book in your closing chapter and it says be brave be the change be political we must not understate the importance of consciousness rising yeah no one's too old no. and no one's ever born knowing exactly how to do whatever job they no. do we learn mm. and you can learn a new trade anytime you like and you can pick it up anytime you like and if you were going to be really good at it, you will make yourself really good at it and you will be a success. Yay! That's yeah. Fab. Thank right, you. are we going graving now? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> DJ Paulette's book, Welcome to the Club, is out on the 23rd of January. It is available now for pre-order wherever you get your books. And believe me, everyone, you are in for a real treat. And if you want a soundtrack that will bring the book to life, get this, there's only a Spotify playlist. Just search for Welcome to the Club Discography. Bingo. Well, that's it for this episode and for Effing Hormones in 2023. Just want to give a quick shout out. Today we are recording in person at Reform Radio. Big round of applause for Yay. our engineer today, Jamie. Jamie. Thank you, Jamie. Thank Big shout-out to Reform Jamie. Radio. Reform Radio are a Manchester-based social enterprise. They're an awesome radio station. DJ Paulette yeah, is a regular. That, yeah. yeah, thank you. And, uh, but also, it's a fantastic initiative. It's a social enterprise that supports young people mm. into employment using the power of radio to get them whoop, whoop. Um, mm. So if anyone's feeling generous for Christmas, uh, Reform Radio have recently launched a Ko-Fi, which is where you can donate and to find it it's co-fi.com forward slash reform radio they're good guys thanks for that's where i came from and thank you for all your support this year for listening for all your messages and a massive thank you as well if you've donated some money to our gofundme page at effinghormones.com um, and if you can, follow, rate, review and share this podcast. It really will help others to find us. 
Right, that's it. We wish you all a wonderful and restful Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. We have jingle bells. <laughs> yeah. We'll add them on. Helen, add jingle bells on at this point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. God Bye. bless us, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Tiny Tim. <laughs> Or oh, well, Tiny boy. Terry. <laughs> <laughs> Not that tiny. <laughs>